Well, good morning, church. How are you guys doing today? Good, good, good. Hey, you guys can take a seat. You can take a seat. You can take a seat. You can take a seat. Hey, if you're brand new here with us, whether you're watching online or you're here with us in person, on behalf of just this wild, crazy, uh, beautifully broken family that is MCC, I just want you to know that you are welcome here. We are so glad that you would take some time out of your week to be here. I love you. And I think there's a lot of people here who love you as well. And I want you to know that God loves you too. And we'd love to connect with you. One of the easiest ways for that to happen, you take that connect card right in the chair back pocket. If you're watching online, there's a link in the comments in there. Uh, and you can fill that out or you can uh, type that out. And you, if you're here in person, you can take it back out to the welcome table. We'd love to get to meet you out there. We've got a gift we want to give you our kind of way of saying welcome home. I want to give you guys uh, a little bit of an update, kind of reminder on some things that are coming up and going on. First thing I want to talk to you guys about is our friends at A Friend's House. So A Friend's House is a thing we've been doing through this whole entire series where we're partnering with this organization that helps kids who are in foster care, who are, who are trying to be able to kind of have a safe place to be able to call home. Uh, this is a local organization here in our city uh, that cares for these kids. And what we're doing is we're partnering with them throughout the course of this series. So every time somebody shares a live stream. So I will let you pull out your phone for a little while, pull out your phone for a little while, uh, share the live stream. If you're watching on the live stream already, you can share it there. Uh, you can go out and do it at lunch today and go back and do it, whatever you want to do, but go share that. We've already raised a lot of money for this. And I believe that um, we're just getting started. Easter is going to be an amazing time too. And so go do that. That's how we're partnering with those. Now I want to talk to you guys about Easter. All right. For those of you who didn't know, Easter is Next Sunday. That's right. Uh, today is Palm Sunday. We're celebrating that today. It's an awesome thing. Uh, Easter is next Sunday. But before that, we have Good Friday. Now, Good Friday is when? Friday. You guys are so smart, intelligent people. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So Good Friday, uh, this is a service that we're going to have specifically taking our hearts to the cross. I believe that before you can really truly see and understand the power and the glory that is bound up in the stone that was rolled away that we just sang about and the fact that there is an empty grave, you have to go to the cross and see the price that was paid to be able to make that happen. So I would invite you uh, Friday night, 6.30. We're gonna be right here in this room. There'll be childcare available for kids five and under. So if you've got a kid five and under, there'll be childcare stuff for them. If you've got a kid who's kind of five or over, um, reminder, this is gonna be a time where we really do go to the cross. And so there's potentially gonna be uh, some images and some things that, that display what was actually happening at the cross. And so just want that to be on your radar. You'd be aware of that. Um, after Good Friday service, we are having our Easter service. And Easter services, two times to pick from, 9, 15, and 11. Um, those services are gonna be here in this room. Um, I, I would just say this to my 11 o'clock crowd. I love you guys. I'm just gonna be real with you. Here's what I'm expecting. Here's what I'm praying for. Here's what I think is gonna happen. I think this room is gonna be packed. And so some of you who come in and you, uh, you just sit in your seat, okay? Next Sunday, somebody's gonna be in your seat. And next Sunday, we may ask you guys to scooch in on your seat. Next Sunday, we may ask you to scoot up in your seat. Okay, so just be prepared. That may be able to happen. I'm believing that God's gonna do some amazing things in here. We have some amazing things planned for you guys. Now, here's, here's the reason I wanna talk about this today. This season, probably more than any other season, is a time where people are actually open to an invitation to come and be a part of a church service. Now, again, I want them to be so much more part of than just a church service. I want them to be a part of a church, okay? But sometimes going to a Sunday, maybe even Easter Sunday service can be what awakens their heart to love that is in Christ. And we've been in this whole series talking about homecoming because we believe that God is going to use people like me and you, regular, ordinary people like me and you to help invite people to experience their divine, their divine homecoming. And we believe that's going to happen this coming Sunday. And he wants to use me and you to be a part of that. So what you get to do is you get to begin thinking about, okay, who can I invite? Who can I be able to bring to this? You know what the number one reason that people cite for not going to church is? 
who aren't connected. No one reason. Number one reason that they say they don't go to church is because no one has invited them yet. Most people, I, I believe me on this, most people are sitting on go and they would come. Nobody invites them. We all know it feels good to be wanted, to say, hey, I want you to come with me. I want you to be a part of this with me. And so many people like, again, I believe we're gonna lift up Jesus. And so he's gonna draw all men to himself. But at the end of the day, what if we partner with Jesus to say, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna whether it's reaching out to somebody at my work, somebody in my neighborhood. My neighborhood has got like five people, who, five new families who have moved into it for the course of like the last six months. I'm gonna go talk to them people, bang on some doors or gently knock on some doors and invite those people in to be able to come and experience what God is gonna be doing here. Uh, for the kids in the room, we're gonna have some fun times, some cool photo op stuff. Uh, we got the Easter egg hunt kind of happening um, at the nine o'clock and then after the 11 o'clock service, just gonna be an awesome time. Our, our team down in children's ministry has done an amazing job of doing everything they can to try to help kids understand the resurrection. And we're gonna be even doing this way so where hopefully they can leave out of there and they never see an Easter egg the same way that they see Easter egg and they immediately think of the resurrection. They think of Jesus. They think of the love of Christ that he has given to them. And so it's gonna be an awesome Sunday and I cannot wait to be there with you guys. I cannot wait to see how good a lot of you guys look too, like dresses, tuxedos. I mean, all sorts of good. Uh, raise your hand if you think I should wear a tie. Okay, it's dark in here, so I don't know what the room was like on that. Um, let me pray for us and we're gonna dive into God's word today. Jesus, I love you. I thank you for gathering us together as your church. Yet again, it is so good to be able to, to gather together. And, and while we know Easter is coming, while we know that that is the reality, the truth is, Jesus, we are Easter people. We're resurrection people. Every time we gather together, we gather together because the tomb is empty. We gather together to celebrate that. And so I thank you that we are here, that our eyes are focused on you, Jesus, that your heart is beating in rhythm with ours today, that as we come to your word, that you align us, God, that you move us, that you shift us and shape us into the people who you made us to be. We thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. In your name, amen. All right, today I want to talk to you about um, things that are lost and things, you know, when they get found, okay? So for you at your house, what are the things that you lose the most often? What do you lose the most often? All right, keys, anybody keys people? Glasses, uh, phone, yeah, phone people. Um, for me, it's, it's keys and phone, like, and I lose them a lot. And actually, like, I'm on uh, debit card number four of 2022. I don't know why, but I have a bad time with debit card. Um, I, I, I had to get this thing for the back of my phone. So if I lose both of them, it's really in trouble. But um, my staff, that they know that. And so Eric Pratt, our worship pastor, who was just up here, really good looking guy. I mean, had a great looking uh, shirt on. I may borrow that for Easter uh, next week. Um, he actually got me for, for Christmas this thing that goes on my key ring that helps me if I lose my phone. And so the staff knows I lose my phone and I lose my keys. And so he got me this key ring thing that if I lose my phone, all I have to do is press this little button right here. Watch this. And then my phone, it just starts telling me, I'm lost, come and find me. And what's crazy, and I don't think the camera can pick this up, but I'll read it to you. It actually says, let me make the sound stop. It actually says, wait, it's still wanting to be found. It's so desperate. Needs attention. The notification when it pops up, it says, here I am waiting to be found. Isn't that, isn't that nice? Now, like most of you, before I had these fancy devices to help me find things when, I, when they were lost, I looked for things kind of the way you look for things, the old fashioned way, which is, you know, just tearing the house apart. It's kind of what I call it. You know, just tearing the house apart, flipping over all the cushions, everything else, or asking my wife, hey, where'd you hide that thing? Where'd you hide? Hey, where'd you put my, where'd you, where'd you put this? For some reason, fellas, right? We just think the wife knows where everything in the house is at. That's kind of how things go. 
But what I've noticed is any of those times when I was looking for something, in those moments when I'm looking for those things, I'm frantically searching for my keys, my wallet, my phone, hat, baseball, man, all those things. When you're looking for those things, what is not happening in that moment is you're not appreciative of all the other things you have, right? When you've got something that lost, you're not, look, I thank you for this decorative pillow and this decorative pillow and this decorative pillow and this decorative pillow and this decorative pillow. My God, how many decorative pillows do we have in this house? <laughs> Anybody else, right? And then you're living under the cushions and you're looking under the cushions. You're trying to find all these things. And in those moments, we're not appreciative. Like, oh God, thank you for this car that I have keys to lose. We don't get there. Because in those moments, we're frantic. We're we're furiously, fastly just going after, searching for the thing of value that is lost. And what if God actually hardwired something inside of us to search with focus and to search with ferocity for things that are lost? And what if he didn't just hardwire that inside of us so that we could find our keys or find our phone when we lose them. What if he hardwired in that for a bigger and grander purpose? See, what we're gonna talk about today is the reality and the truth that you were created on purpose, for a purpose, by God, to actively partner with him to seek and to save things that are lost. You may ask, well, Trent, where in the world do you get that? I'm so glad you asked. I wanna show it to you right here. Check this out. Luke 19.9. So Jesus shows up to a guy who's a tax collector. His name was Zacchaeus, all right? We sang songs about him. If you grew up in church, you sang this crazy song about him climbing a tree and all this other stuff. Jesus shows up at a guy named Zacchaeus on his front, store, front, front, front steps, essentially, and says, hey, Zacchaeus, today I wanna go eat with you. And everybody in the crowd is like, ew. Like, why would you ever? They're just disgusted that Jesus would hang out with this type of person and not just have a conversation with him, but go in his house and eat with him. So Jesus goes to the house, eat with him, talk with him. Zacchaeus was a guy who was known and he knew himself that he was a crooked man who had taken more than he should have taken from people. That was part of what was just common ground for tax collectors. Jesus begins to confront him in his sin. Now, remember, what had Jesus done before he confronted him in his sin? He took the time to know him, to call him by name, to sit down across the table for him, to look him eye to eye and to say in the culture there, I am, while I may not be okay with your sin, I love you enough to befriend you, to meet with you, to talk with you here in this moment. And then he confronts him on his sin and Zacchaeus essentially says, today I'm going to, from this moment forward, Jesus, I'm going to repeat, repay back everybody who I took any money for and I'm gonna do that fourfold. I'm gonna give them back everything that I take. So Jesus calls him out on this life that he's living. We see Zacchaeus repent. And then this is Jesus' response. I love this. He says, today salvation has come to this house. I love that. A house that everybody would have walked by that house and go, oh, that's where that blankety, blankety, blank Zacchaeus lives who's been taking our money more than he should be taking. And Jesus is like, hey, today, this house, not a house like that anymore. This is a house that salvation has come. He says, because this man too is a son Abraham, as is his way of saying, uh, people thought you were out of the Jewish family, that people thought you were no longer a son of God. But now I'm, I'm showing you that as a son of God has showed up in your house and you have repented of your sins, you are still a son of God. And he goes on, he tells us his purpose. He says, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. 
So where do I get this idea, this big crazy idea that God's purpose and plan for our life is actually to be used by him to seek and save the lost? Well, if Jesus' purpose, if Jesus' whole reason of being on earth was to seek and save the lost, well, then if he is the person who we're saying we follow him, we're your disciples, we're the people who say that you are living in your fullness inside of us, well, then our mission should be his mission, that we and our call is to seek and to save the lost. Now, we don't do the saving, but we introduce them to the Savior because he's living in his fullness and his likeness through us. And this goes right along line and right in parallel with what we call the Great Commission. If you got a Bible, go to Matthew 28. We see it in there. Matthew 28. Matthew 28, verse 18. A lot of times, you know, for most of us, you've heard this passage before. And I want to remind us yet again that this is not a passage just for the apostles who were there that day on Galilee. This is not just for pastors. That if you call yourself a Christian, that this is for you. And in the same way that as you're getting ready to leave a house or you're getting ready to leave planet Earth, or if you know you're on your deathbed, the words that you say, the last words that you say to somebody are critical. They're important. They're the ones that should mean the most. It's why you hug and kiss your wife or your spouse or your kids before you leave to go to work today. Because if you get hit in a wreck, you get in an accident. You want the last words you said to them not to be, remember to close the garage door. You want the last words you said to them to be, I love you so much. Have a great day. And so Jesus, in his, in his last words to his disciples, he says this. He came to them all and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, which is his way of saying, I'm in charge. You better do what I say. And again, in a very nice way, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And we talked about this plenty around here. That authority was given to him because he humbled himself to the lowest of low. So he goes to the lowest of low, becomes obedient as a servant, even to death, death on the cross. God raises him up. He becomes the name at which all knees will bow and all tongues will confess. So he says, all authority has been given to me because I've conquered the grave. And when you do that, you can have some authority too. But until that happens, <laughs> it's mine. And so he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, because I have this authority, I'm giving you a command. I'm giving you a commission. Go and make disciples. Disciples means pe people who, who understand what I do, who follow me, who love me and follow me, who love me and follow me. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Now, again, Jesus shows up and says, okay, I've come to seek and save the lost. And then his, when, as he's departing, he says, now your call is to go into all the world and make disciples, which is just another way of saying, seek and save the lost. They are lost in right now in the fact that they are not disciples. So your call, your role is to go in to teach them and to lead them in a way, to love them in a way where they will become disciples as well. He says, on top of that, we're not just gonna go, hey, I want you to be a disciple to make sure that we don't misunderstand what disciple is. Jesus says, I'm not just talking about people acknowledging that I'm good. I'm not just talking about people acknowledging that while I was here, I was a good guy. I healed some people. I did some nice things. I want you to baptize them, to symbolically say that their old life, whether they're Jew, they're Gentile, whether they're a prostitute, whether they were a tax collector, whether whatever they were, if when they're baptized and they come out from that water, that they're a new creation. And then he says, teach them to obey, which is like, Okay, man, you never camp out on those two words for a second? Teach them to obey. I think a lot of churches, a lot of churches, people like me and you grew up in, it was teach them to learn. Teach them to learn so that they can win a Bible trivia contest. Teach them to learn so that they can know what to tell other people that they're doing wrong. But he says, teach them to obey. And their obedience will be the true factor and the true realization that they actually 
have learned. So he shows up, he says those things, and he tells us that our, our call is to be, big word here, disciple makers. That's why we're here. That's what we're put on earth to do, to be partners with him to make disciples. And then I love the last part here. And this is what, man, this is what gives me confidence. This world is crazy, amen? And it's gonna get crazier. What gives me hope and what gives me confidence though are these words, surely I am with you. All right, cool. Let it get as crazy it wants. Jesus, if you're with me, come on, crazy. Come on, world. Let me lose whatever I have to lose. Let me gain whatever I need to gain. If you're with me, it's okay. I can have this confidence that blows the world, the confidence that the largest 401k, that the biggest house in the neighborhood, that the fastest car in the neighborhood, the lifted truck in the neighborhood, all the security that all the rest of the world can give me pales in comparison to being able to seriously sit there and go, I know my God is with me. I love that. And sometimes I think the reason that we don't feel him with us is because we're not living this out. And so this passage says, this is our identity. Now I want to take you to one more passage. And I'm not showing up there because like, it sounds weird, but I want to just have a good old fashioned Bible study with you this morning. Is that okay? Can we do a little bit of Bible study this morning? All right, okay, cool. I'll grab your Bible, go to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter, um, chapter five. 2 Corinthians chapter five. 2 Corinthians chapter five. I'll kind of walk through this. You got to go down to First Corinthians or Second Corinthians, chapter five. Jump down to verse seventeen. Now, the reason I want to do this with you this morning and let it be less uh, preachy, preachy, and more Bible study is because I wish for every single person that somebody at some point in your life could sit down with every Christian, even every Christian in the South, seriously, and just be able to have this conversation with them to say, this is what it really means to be a Christian. This is what your identity really is. This is what your purpose in life really is. I think that's a big giant question that's at the heart of so many of us is what is my real purpose in this life? You know, whether you're young or whether you're old, that's a question that we're asking. And we're like, I have to do father stuff. I have to do work stuff. I have to do mom stuff. I have to stay at home mom stuff. I have to be a grandma. I have to take care of my aging parents. Reduce all of that down to the irreducible minimum. If you are in Christ, this verse, this passage we're gonna get into right here talks about what has been done for you and what your purpose here is on earth. And so the reason I want you to get here is so that you can have a Bible, highlight this, underline this. If you're on your phone, Bible app, highlight that thing, save it, screenshot it, do what you have to do. Because the next time the enemy tries to get you to doubt your identity, try to get you to figure out who you are in some other new age way of thinking about it. I want you to be able to come back here and see who you are, see what your purpose is and realize that any day where you feel like you're a lost cause, that Jesus saved you for a reason and a purpose. So let's dive into this together. Second Corinthians chapter five, starting verse 17. Paul's writing to the church in Corinth and Church in Corinth was crazy. They were sending like wild. They were, it was, it was like Las Vegas. What happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. You, it was, it's a crazy place. So Paul's writing to them. He, he's talking to them about this reality. That they are made new, that they're a new creation, that they have not been reconciled to God. And as he says that, verse 17, he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, now this is where we, I gotta, we just gotta have, to have a, a, a DTR conversation as the young people would say, DTR. Do you guys know what that is? Define the relationship. This is that third date conversation where you go, what is this? You know, define the relationship, all right? And this is DTR right here in this moment with all of us together in the room and you and Jesus. 
define the relationship. Are you in him or not? I mean, should be honest. Are you in him? Is he in you or not? Define the relationship. Now, Paul says for anybody in the room who will go, yes, he is in me, I'm in him. Christ is in me. So he says, okay, if you're there, now pay attention. Now listen, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Praise God, right? Hallelujah. I'm a new creation. That's a really good news. If I'm in Christ, I'm a new creation. Now again, it doesn't always feel super new, right? You can get in Christ, (laughs) you come out of the waters of baptism and you're still kind of old, right? Not like old, old, but like old. The old self, old habits, old ways of thinking, old notions, old preconceived biases towards certain groups of people. But he says, you're gonna come out of the waters of baptism and you're gonna want all your outward stuff to be brand new. The reality is though, what's happening as you have been made in Christ, you have been raised up out of the waters of baptism, God has regenerated your insides. So inside has been made new. And we get frustrated with Jesus and we give up on Jesus sometimes because outside doesn't get new fast enough. <laughs> but what Jesus is saying here is that you've been made new. It's internal thing. It's gonna wake it, work its way out of your life. That's this process called sanctification. He's, I'm a sanctifying you because you have now been made a saint. When I look at you, I see the blood of Jesus covering all of your sins from the inside out. And I'm gonna purify your outward motives. I'm gonna purify your outward motions so that when you look in the mirror, sometimes you're gonna still see you. But eventually even when you look in the mirror and look at your own life, you're gonna see my hand, my fingerprints, me and my eyes all over it. So it's if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. So what that means is you don't have to wait for new things, that that new is already there in you. And it's so much of our life is surrendering to allow that newness of Jesus and what he's put into us to actually come out. And so you in this room, if you are in Christ and you're wondering, I still feel like my old self though. I still have my old anxiety. I still have my old depression. I still have my old habits. I still have my own addictions. I still have all this old stuff. Here's what I want to tell you. Man, I had somebody come up to me and ask me this question recently. I was sharing something a couple of Sundays ago about some struggles that I had gone through in my past. And they came and they asked this question, really good-hearted question. And they said, well, how did you, um, when did you stop dealing with that? When did you get over that? And Luckily, I've been able to process through some of the wounds of my past and some of the predispositions that have been created in me because everybody has a story, right? Everybody has something that you went through in your life, something you went through in your childhood that kind of made you who you are, that made you, when somebody says a certain thing, you go, ooh, I really know, I know what that really means because somebody's burned me enough with that. I know what maybe means. And they said, you know, how did God save you from that? How did you, how did you stop doing that? And I said, he didn't. See, God didn't make that thing go away. This particular thing for me was um, an identity or me getting my identity and loving to achieve things and finding my identity in my achievements. And they were asking this question, well, how did God make that go away? And my, my, my response was, God didn't make that go away. What God did though is he redeemed it. And he said, I'm gonna make it to where now you still f- see your identity and what I have achieved from you, but you're still a go-getter. You still love to accomplish things. You still want to be a part of one of the kids in my kingdom who is probably the first one to step up to bat. Who's the one that when a, a, a crisis happens, goes, all right, crisis, let's roll. See, God will take the, the predisposition, the pre-wire. Some of, some of you think you have, a, um, you have a propensity to be someone who moves towards con- confrontation. <laughs> Don't elbow anybody, all right? And you think And this is the way we teach in the church world a lot. God just wants you to now just be peaceful and you just become Ned Flanders and you just, okay, yes. And you just roll over every time somebody does something. But here's the deal. 
What God actually wants to do, he, he wants to take that predisposition because he created you in that unique way and he wants to redeem that. So that now, instead of flying off the handle and flipping over the desk at work, you're the one who knows that you need to move towards that for the sake of the rest of the employees, for the sake of the rest of the people there. You need to go have a one-on-one conversation with your boss and to say, hey, respectfully, I think some of these things need to change for the sake of you maintaining unity with our team so that we can best do our job efficiently. And you become, now you become his greatest ally and his greatest asset because God is working in you and redeeming something that was already hardwired in there and not just shoving it down and then saying, go away. And so, so much of us becoming new is God not just going, blow the slate up, scorched earth. I'm going to create a completely different person. If you look at the Apostle Paul, this is proof positive for this. Look at the Apostle Paul. He was dogged. He was dedicated. He was, he, he was, he said, I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was determined to make things happen and to get things done. And what God did is he said, I'm going to allow the good aspects of you to be redeemed for the sake of my kingdom. And there's, what, what, what you're gonna do, Paul, is things that the apostle John could have never done in a million years. You're gonna do things that apostle Peter could have never done in a million years because I, how I wired you, not from rebirth, but actually from birth that I wrote through your whole story. And so he says, let's go on to the passage. He says, let's go down to verse 18. This, all this is from God. Again, that's good news. All this is from God. That means you didn't do it. He did it. Verse 18, all this from God. Here's a big word. Who reconciled us to himself. Now, again, in order to be reconciled, you have to be unreconciled, all right? And the thing that unreconciled you to God, that made you unconnected from God is your sin. Not your grandmama's sin, not the bad house that you grew up in. Your own sin is what made you unreconciled, separated from God. But he says, through Christ, you have now been reconciled. He reconciled us to himself through Christ. And he didn't just sweep the punishment for the wrong that we did away and say that doesn't exist anymore. That punishment, and and this is the justice of God, that punishment went on Christ. And it became the bricks that pave the road to the bridge for you to be able to enter back into the family of God. Verse 18, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And here's here's where it gets crazy. He reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, before I unpack with you guys, again, I told you we're gonna have a little Bible study this morning. That's why I'm sitting down. I wish I could sit across the table with every single person in here. And at some point, this is what I hope you're able to do with somebody else as a minister of reconciliation. You're able to sit across the table with a new believer, with somebody trying to figure out what does it mean to be a Christian, that you're able to sit across the table with them and show them this passion and go, this is what it really means to be a Christian. Not not to wear certain t-shirts, not to show up and do these certain things or to not do these certain things and not dance and not kiss and not cuss and not you know, chew tobacco. This is actually what it really means to, to be someone who follows Christ. Look at verse 18, all right? I wanna wanna walk you through this because a lot of us, our faith in Jesus is half of this verse. All right, verse 18. It says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. Most of us, before that word and, we put a period. We say, all this is from God who reconciled me, beautiful little me, old little me, to Christ. The end. 
And I've been reconciled to Christ, so I'm good to go. I'm good with him. I got my get out of free, get out of hell free card. I'm good to go. Life is good. I've been reconciled to Christ. Yeehaw! I'm just going to sit here and try to not do bad things until he comes back. And that's half the gospel. That's not all of it. That's not all of what Jesus did. The next part is the rest of it, and this is the best of it. Listen to what he says. Okay, last half of verse 18. Read it all together. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So I'm reconciled to God. Now he hands me the, he says, I got my golden ticket. And he hands us another ticket and says, okay, here is your badge. You now wear this badge that says you are a minister of reconciliation to which some of us in the room, we start to wiggle a little bit because we're like, I don't really feel like a minister. Like if you're in the gas station on your way home, you stop to get some gas on the way home and something crazy has happened and somebody needs some prayer and the, and the guy behind the counter goes, is there a minister here? You're not going, that's me, I, right here. I got him, I got this, I, I'm a minister. You would just go, well, I, I go to church. But here, here's what Paul is saying on behalf of Jesus. If you receive the ministry of reconciliation, if you've been reconciled to Christ, then you now are given this ministry of reconciliation that part of your call, that every person in this room who would say the DTR of I am in Christ, if you are in Christ, now what you are is a minister of reconciliation. So if you're on an airplane or a gas station, somebody says, I need a minister, right here. Here I am. What you need? How can I help? How can I serve? You know, I got a Bible on my phone. I don't have one with me right now, but what, what can I do? That you stand up and you're willing to walk into that. Now, again, this one I'm trying to help you understand. Every single person, if you say you're in Christ, you, you got to understand that part of your call, part of your purpose in this life is to be a minister. The church, everyone who is a part of the church, they're called to be ministers of the gospel. Some of us are called to be pastors. Some of us are called to be elders. Some of us are called to be on staff at church. But don't you dare believe that, that the only people who are supposed to minister to the needs of the people in the city, the people in the church, the people where you live, work, and play, the only people who are supposed to minister to those people are not people who are called, quote, unquote, ministers. That's why one of the first things I changed when I got here was all the people who said, there's our minister, Trent Shoemake. I said, yeah, I'm one of them. We're all ministers. You can call me a pastor. Don't call me a bishop or any of those other, you know, Pope Trent. I'm, I'm none of those things. <laughs> Reverend, I don't, I don't even, I don't like it. Just, I'm, I'm, I'm a pastor. We're ministers. You're ministers of reconciliation. Now, that word you go, okay, what are we talking about there? What in the world do we mean by reconciliation? Reconciliation is... Again, we've been on this. We've been talking about this a whole lot. Reconciliation is that moment in the prodigal son where the younger brother comes back and the, he meets his dad and the dad embraces him, just bear. I mean, I, you, know, you know how it is. When you get one of them dad bear hugs, just bear hugs, pulls him back out of it and then takes his face. I believe like cups his ears and pulls his face in and starts kissing him on the face. And it's like, you're back. Like that type of amped father is, you know, that's, that's the picture of what in the world reconciliation looks like. Now remember, that son was not just a bad boy. He was a dead boy. And so when Jesus says, okay, you've received reconciliation, that means you went from being a dead boy or a dead girl who was embraced by the father, ring, robe, sandals on your feet. 
And now you are a minister of reconciliation, which means you get to be used by God. So as those prodigals are coming down the road, you know, back to the father, you're the one who's pushing people out of the way so the father can get to them. And you're the one on the sidelines encouraging them with everything you have to say, come on, come on, you can do this. You're, you're two steps away. Come on, I'll be with you. Yeah, no, no, don't, no, we don't wanna go back to the pig pen. Pigs are gross. Let's, we're gonna leave that life. We're gonna come here. We're ministers of reconciliation to do everything we can to guide, to, to take care of, to encourage, to do everything that God would give us with his power within us to be able to see the lost, dead sinner be able to be fully embraced by the Father with sandals, rings, robes on their feet. That's our call. All right, let's look at verse 19. So 18 says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, that God was reconciling the world to himself, the world. Not just the good people, not just the people who vote the right way, the whole entire world, not just America, the world. He's reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, which you should, you should see that and go, whoa, 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 whoa. How in the world does that happen? How does it happen that God, our God, could not count people's sins against them? All these people, all this bad, all this evil we see in this world, and God's gonna not count any of that against them? Here's how God can not count the world's sin against them. He counted them on his son. He doesn't count the world's sin against them because he counted the world's sin against his son. Your sin, my sin, the sin of everybody in the past and everybody in the future, those are the sins that held Jesus up to a wooden blood-soaked cross. That's why he cannot count them against you because they were all, and here, you need, some of you need to hear this, they were counted in full against him. Even the ones you'll commit tomorrow, in full. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he, he has committed us to the message of reconciliation. One of the things that gets me in trouble sometimes is the messages I'm meant to send. Anybody else ever get in trouble? Somebody will text you something and you're like, oh, oh yeah, oh, I see it. And you forget to send them back. Where was that message at? It was in here, right? Never got it on your fingers though. You had that message in your head. You had that reply. You knew that thing you were gonna say to him. You had a message. But who is it not a message to? The person who didn't get it. And see, really to you, it's not a message yet. It's just a thought. Oh, I, <laughs> you need to start calling it what it is. I need to start calling it what it is. I had a thought about that. I thought about sending you that. But something happened and I didn't. I got distracted. So what Jesus is making here is that we have been given the message of reconciliation and a message, hear me on this, a message does not become a message until it's sent. And so you can have all the Bible knowledge you want, but you don't have the message unless you're sending it. If you have the message, then you're a sender. You're, you're giving it out. You're telling people, you're showing people with your life. You're giving them the, the verbatim words of the gospel. That's knowing that you have actually received the message is that it becomes not just a knowledge, but it becomes a message as you give us out. He says, so you've committed to the message of reconciliation. 
verse 20. <laughs> we, this is where he gets to your purpose, your identity, who you are. Again, if you would DTR and define the relationship, say, I am in Christ. Okay, now he says, here's what we are now. We're not just good people. We're not just salt of the earth. This is what we are. Verse 20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. I don't know what you know about ambassadors, but ambassadors are people, and this is why Paul chose to think, use this word. Ambassadors are people who are not people of that region. This country is not their home country. Ambassadors don't live in their home country. Ambassadors live in a foreign land. And if you're in Christ, that means you now live in foreign land. You can be as patriarch about America as you want to, but this is not your home. He says, you are now a citizen of heaven. The blessed are the poor in spirit because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. All of that is at your fingertips. You are now part of a new nation, a new tribe, a new people group by the blood of Christ. That is your family now. That's where you belong. And so every day that you spend on earth, you live here as an ambassador to represent and to show the kingdom you belong to, to the current kingdom that you are inside of. So he says, you're ambassador of Christ. Here's where it gets kind of nerve wracking because we see how we drive in traffic and how we act online and what we say at the water cooler. Verse 20, he says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though Christ were making his appeal through us. As though he was making his appeal through me and you. Circle all the way back to the very beginning of the Solid Ground series when we talk about our identity. We say Adam and Eve were created in the image and likeness of God. They were created to magnify and glorify God there in the garden, which was, and again, we talked about this then. I want you to see it, that this is not something that stopped in Genesis, that Paul is saying this is essential to the gospel and its fruition to the end of the earth, that God created you in his image and likeness. And then through Christ, he redeemed you still in Christ's image and likeness so that it would be as if, as you parented this week, it would be as if God was making his appeal to your children through you. Again, that can be nerve wracking and terrifying when we go back and play the film. Through the way I manage this week, if I'm, if, I'm, if I'm in management at work, through the way I worked this week, through the way I worked at week, that the way I did all of those things, it is as if God is making his appeal through me. Through the way I was a boyfriend to the girlfriend this week, that was as if God was making his appeal through me. Through the way I, as a man, uh, loved and cared for it and nourished my family and, and got to know them and didn't just come home and check out. That was as if God was making his appeal to who he is, how much he loves through me. And so the question then becomes for us, how appealing have I made Jesus to the people where I live, where I work, and where I play? Is, is he appealing at all? If God would, and again, it's crazy to think that God would, I said this in the first episode, like, like every day on the part where 75 and 85 get connected from like four o'clock to six o'clock, it's just gridlock traffic. Like it seems like it would be make way more sense if God would just send like 75 angels or 85 angels or 75 and 85 angels to just hover over 75 and 85 and just be like, God is real, quit doing bad things, follow him. And he would just make his appeal through angels on 75 and 85. He would get a whole lot more people than he would if he used people like me and you. And probably a better appeal. Because they would go, that's something heavenly. That's how we think because we don't realize that all of heaven is bound up in here. We are in Christ. And the same appeal that an angel could make of the Father God can be made by you and me. And that should cause us to not feel guilt, not feel conviction, but feel honor. 
that a God like that would choose people like us to show him to a world like this, show them his love, to show them his grace, to show him his mercy. And my prayer is that we would be people who pursue that and run after that in ways like we never have before. So why am I telling you all this about what your call is, what your purpose is? Why, why, why am I showing you all this? Here's why. Part of it is because I refuse to be one of those pastors and bless their hearts, um, who just gets on stage and just says, please just invite, you just invite those people to church. Just go knock on those doors, invite those folks in and you get them here and I'll tell them about Jesus. I'm not gonna be that guy. Now, do I want you to invite your friends to church? Yes. Do I believe that if you get them here, I'll tell them about Jesus? Yes. But far too long, churches have made that the finish line of the followers' faith. Just get them here. No. I want you to be able to take the gospel to them. He, he said, all of us. I shouldn't be the one who's baptizing everybody at this church. Every single person. If you, if you say you're in Christ, then the Great Commission applies to you and you should baptize somebody before you die. So the reason I tell you this is to say, this is our identity. This is what you were created for. This is what you were redeemed for. And I also want you to understand what's at stake if you don't, right? Because again, we went through this in this whole um, Sermon on the Mount. And I, I hate to keep coming back to things I've talked about for like 17 weeks in a row. But at Matthew seven twenty six, again, Jesus said, okay, everyone who hears these words of mine, words like what he said about go make disciples, word like Paul said about the, he, God's making his appeal through you, words like Paul said that, hey, um, you're ambassadors and you're committed to the minister of reconciliation. So Jesus shows up and he says, anyone who hears these words of mine, which now for us, we didn't just have the Sermon on the Mount, we have the Sermon on the Mount and then Romans, Acts, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Ephesians, Philippians, we have all the rest of the canon of scripture and those words are all included in that now. So he says, all the people out there who just go, oh, I acknowledge that. Those are all kind of good ideas. Those are all good things. He says, if all you're gonna do is hear those words of mine and you don't actually put them to practice, you're like a foolish man, a foolish person who builds his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew with a great uh, blue and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. And I, and I refuse, to, I mean, if I have to show up and preach to two people every weekend, I refuse to let us be a church that falls with a great crash. Because we, we decided, I don't, we, we, we want to just acknowledge you, Jesus, but we don't want to follow you, Jesus. I refuse to let our spiritual assimilation, our, our sanctification process be, I was lost, I got saved, now I'm sitting. I want our process and I want my process to be, I, I was lost, I am saved, now I'm seeking. And the reason, the reason I say all this, guys, is because we are not sky zone. Here's what I mean by that. We're not Sky Zone. We're not Target. This is not a movie theater or a concert. This is not a self-help seminar. This is not something to consume. This thing called the church, it is a movement, a family, something that was supposed to be an unstoppable force of good in the cities that we would gather in. Not something to be consumed, but something to be contributed to. Something where you can be a part of it. Something that exists for the hope of the souls within the city that we call home. And see, we're not just McDonough Christian Church, a place where Christians in McDonough can gather and have a safe place to be fed, encouraged, taught, and hang out with other Christians. This church was launched by Gene Jarrett and led by Paul Leslie for over 25 years, not to be a hub for Christians in McDonough. It was launched by Gene and it was led by Paul, not to be a hub for Christian people in McDonough, but to be a hospital for hurting people in McDonough. 
And that's why God the Father placed this city on their hearts and that's why he placed it on my heart and brought me from North Carolina here to be a crazy redneck back in the city telling people about Jesus. See, God the Father placed that in our hearts. I believe he's placed some of that in your hearts because he looks at these cities. He looks at these cities like McDonough, Jonesboro, Jackson, Sogridge, Hampton, Locust Grove, and Griffin. And when he looks at these cities, he sees his lost children. He sees prodigals. He sees the lonely. He sees the hungry. He sees the fatherless. He sees the addicted and he sees his wondering. He sees the distracted and confused. He sees the raped, molested, and abused. And he sees his helpless, hurting children. And do you know what his grand response is? as he looks at those cities and sees those people. McDonough Christian Church, you and me. And again, I don't know why in the world he would pick people like us, but he does. He looks at people like me and you and goes, hey, I'm really lost and broken to mess up people in your city kids bouncing in and out of foster care. There's some people one meal away from starving to death. There's some people in that country club neighborhood who don't need God anymore because they have a big enough house, a nice enough car, and enough money and savings. So they turned their back on him. And he looks at all those things and he says, I see those children there, the rich, the poor, the rebel and the religious, I see them all there. And so I am sending my church, spirit of my son, Jesus, alive in and through a church like McDonough Christian Church to bring hope to the hurting people and lead the lost to be found. What this means is that God has purposely, guys, purposely placed us right here, right now for such a time as this so that we could be the church of God, for the people who are not yet in the family of God. What this means is that that very same God, that very same God who looked at a helpless and hurting humanity, like the whole entire world, the God who looked at that whole entire world and said, okay, here's my son. I'm giving him to you. That's John 3, 16. God so loved the world that he gave his son. Now in the very same way, he is saying, he looks at our cities and he says, here's my son, Jesus. He's coming through his church to people like me and you. And that's our call. That's what we were put here for. That is our purpose on this planet, to reach out, to seek, to save. That is our why. That's why we do what we do. The purpose that you were put here for, the purpose that I was put here for. And so I wanna walk you through as we end today, this one little parable that Jesus told in Luke 15. So if you've got a Bible, quickly go Luke 15. Jesus told this story in Luke 15. I wanna show you what prompted the story. Luke 15, one, Jesus is hanging out. He's meeting with tax collectors. He's meeting with these sinful people, these people who everybody's around the city is looking at and go, how dare you, Jesus, be with people like this? They're all gathering around. They want to be here. If Jesus, if Jesus was doing everything that he was doing within a building like this, people would have been banging down the doors. It would have looked like Black Friday on steroids, just tramples of people coming in. I think that's why Jesus, he only hung out in a house one time because the one time he hung out in a house, they ripped the roof off the place. He's like, all right, we're just gonna stick to open air stuff so we don't get the homeowner's association fired up at us anymore. So he comes on the scene and he says words, that draw all people in. But not everybody's cool with that. 
Pharisees, these are the religious people in the crowd, the teachers of the law, they muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now, to eat with people is a big deal back then. It was essentially your way of saying, I am not just um, someone who's having a meal with you. I'm befriending you. You're, you're part of my, like, we're in this together. And so this is where, again, we're talking about reaching out to people who are not, maybe not yet in Christ or not yet connected to Christ. And here's where we go. And this is where I want you to see yourself in this and see how you can swing one way or the other. And, and I wanna give you a better option. See, oftentimes this is kind of where we're at. When we think about people who are those people, the bad people, whether it's the person who we say, okay, that's a person who uh, they're, they're living, a, maybe they're living a homosexual lifestyle, or maybe that's a person who I know is struggling with addiction, or maybe that's a person, you fill in whatever blank sin you wanna fill in there. And remember, you've got your own set as well. They're just kind of hidden and kind of masked with Christianity. He says, you fill in whatever that person is, the gossip person at work, the person who's always lying, the perpetual stealer, the, the, the criminal, whatever you wanna be. The conservative option, and I'll just be honest with you guys, okay? So if you're already someone who would call yourself a conservative, this is probably where you're gonna fall in. This is probably where you're gonna be susceptible. Not always, but more than likely, is to see that person, whoever they may be, what they may be doing, and to go, I'm gonna reject you. When your mid-20s kid comes up and goes, well, I don't believe in God anymore. I don't know that, all that's fake, man. I, I went to philosophy 101 and, I, and now I know why that's stupid. And I don't believe in that. You're more on the conservative side of things. Your, your propensity is probably gonna be, I'm gonna kind of reject you. And, and God's gonna judge you and you're gonna figure all that out. And give them a, you, know, you give them your list of Bible verses to tell them why they're wrong and then it's on them. The other side of the coin is a liberal option. And if you're in this room and you maybe more so identify as a liberal, this is probably the option you would fall into. And if you're in this room and you're under 30, almost all of you fall into this category. And for better, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's just kind of the way the society has molded and shaped you into thinking about any of these types of issues. I'm, just, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not passing judgment. I'm saying this is kind of the reality. They would say, and this is a liberal option, and, and, and this is not just, don't, please don't hear me that this is a young person, this is a millennial or a Gen Z thing or a liberal thing or a Democrat thing. This is in churches. Like there, there's, there's people who say, I am a reverend and I'm running for state senator, but kill all the babies you wanna kill. I, I, I'll be a pastor and, and I'll be openly, you know, doing whatever I, whatever I need to do. Uh, I, you know, there are complete denominations that are splitting over these issues to say, welcome them all in. We, we can have, an, we can have a, a, an openly living with their, you know, boyfriend person, you know, preach on stage and do these things. We can have the, whatever. No, we don't wanna judge people. And I, and I get the good heart in this to go, man, we don't wanna judge people. Well, Jesus didn't judge people, he ate with the sinners. And I can get the good heart in this. And the pendulum swings all the way over to the other side and says, we're just gonna affirm. In churches, and I actually interviewed before I came to MCC with a church and I had to do the research to figure out what it even meant. They said, uh, this church is open and affirming. And I said, well, aren't all of them supposed to kind of be that way? Like, like it was like closed and hateful. Like, I don't, what's the, <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. And so I had to do the research to figure out what that meant. And I went, oh, that's what that means. And I, and I went, my heart, my heart breaks for the people who get half of the gospel there, who get all grace and not the truth that it takes to lead to a grace-filled life where Jesus is now fully active. And the same way my heart breaks for the people who are all truth and just tell you the truth, tell you the truth, tell you the truth, tell you the truth, and give you no grace enough to be able to meet with you, talk with you, and be there for you when you're trying to figure that stuff out. 
And so what I, the whole reason I'm trying to show you all this because I want you to be people who reach out to quote unquote bad people. I want us to be a church where, <laughs> man, you may, be sitting next to, you may be sitting next to someone who is just coming out of a life of prostitution. I want you to be sitting in a church by someone who just embezzled millions of dollars. I want us to be a church where our table, so to speak, our rooms, our small groups looks like the tables that Jesus sat at. And some of you that are like, oh, I don't know about that. Like, fine, I'm okay with that. Because here's what I see. Jesus' option was not the conservative option. It was not the liberal option. Jesus' option was on a whole different page. He said, I'm not trying to reject them or affirm them. I'm trying to befriend them. And when somebody becomes enough of a friend of me, they'll see enough of who I am that they will have no choice but to change. That's what happened with Zacchaeus. He shows up, Jesus comes in, starts eating with him, hanging out with him. That's what happened with Matthew. I think Matthew was kind of one of the leaders of the tax collectors. Jesus shows up, changes Matthew's life. And two chapters later, they're throwing this whole center dinner where it's just Jesus, Matthew, and the rest of just tax collectors all the way down the, the buffet table. Because Jesus said, and again, I, I don't think of any of these, because what we see through Zacchaeus' life, the whole thing we saw, the whole time where Jesus said, I came to seek and save the lost whether it's Zacchaeus, whether it's the woman at the well, all these people, what you don't see is, a, is you don't see a Jesus who just rejects them and says, Zacchaeus, get all your crap together, get your finances in order to go pay all those people back and I'm gonna come eat with you. But you also don't see a, 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 a Jesus who shows up and sits down with Zacchaeus and goes, hey man, you know you took for those people, right? Yeah, I still love you. The end. No. He, he, he revealed who he was to him. And by the grace and the love of Jesus, he repented of his sin and he changed because Jesus revealed to him the truth. So my encouragement and my call to us is befriend. My granddad passed away a couple of weeks ago and I never saw somebody embody this more than him. And so I would say to you, this is my best recollection of what this actually looks like in real life. We'd be at um, Piggly Wiggly on Burlesboro uh, Drive in Noonan, Georgia. Piggly Wiggly. Anybody ever still go to Piggly Wiggly? Isn't there a Piggly Wiggly in Jackson? Yeah, praise God. Uh, so we go to Piggly Wiggly and always take like an hour and a half to go to the grocery store because you go down every single aisle. Um, but never failed. Anytime we were there, and this, was, this happened when I was a little kid, teenager, all the way up growing up, going to the grocery store with him. Go to the grocery store and, and never failed. Like there'd be somebody and we'd cross them and you'd start talking to them. And they have like a 15-minute conversation about life. And, and, and sometimes this person's like, you know, they're wiping tears from And, and I, we, we'd start walking away from him. I'd be like, Papa, you know, how you know that guy? He'd go, I don't know that guy. <laughs> I'd be like, what? You don't know who they are? You just talk to him for like 15 minutes and pray with him? Man, like, you don't know this guy? No. That's what that looks like. I'm, I'm just going to befriend you. I'm going to be Jesus where you're at. I'm going to meet you where you're at. I'm going to care for you where you're at but I'm also gonna love you enough to invite you into places and environments where, where the gospel can begin to change your life. And what happens here, and this is where this becomes crucial for us, and I believe this is Jesus, and I believe this has gotta be us if we're really gonna be his church. We've gotta care more about people's backstories than we care about their behavior. I, I think, I, we don't know, but I believe Jesus knew Zacchaeus' backstory. He knew why he got into what he got into. We know the woman at the well's backstory. We know that she had husband after husband after husband. She lived a life of sexual promiscuity. Jesus knew her backstory and he met her at her backstory, redeemed her backstory and gave her a new story because he was less concerned about her behavior and he was more concerned about her backstory. And I invite you in the same way to be the same person. So the big question I ask, I'll leave you with today is who's your one? Who's the one person? You gotta save everybody. 
I can't. But there are some people who only you could reach that I, can, I, I have no hope. Our elders have no hope. Our per, church staff has no hope, but you are specifically called to be the minister in their life. Who's your one? Who's that one person for you that's coming to mind when you think, okay, if there's one person who I could, who I could reach out to, if there's one person who I maybe could even invite to a time for Easter, if there's one person I could invite to come to my community group, if there's one person, who could that one person be for you? And what would you be willing to do this week to be able to help bring them into a relationship with Christ? And please don't hear me saying, just invite them to Easter service. Now, you have no idea what God may do for one simple invite. There's some of you in this room that the reason you're here, the reason that you're serving, the reason that you got baptized is because somebody invited you here, right? So if God can do that with you, he wants to do that with them. So let us be ministers of reconciliation this week as we point people towards the blessed and cross, the empty grave. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your love, mercy, and grace. As we get ready to sing a song about your love for us, help us to remember that you don't just say, hey, I'm gonna show you my reckless love to you and I'm gonna fight till you're found and I'm gonna go up any mountain or I'm gonna uh, kick down any wall or I'm gonna break down any lie. That you then ask us to do that. You then ask us to pursue the people around us in that very same way, to not just be someone who receives, but to be people who go out with your love, with your grace, not just the people who have been reconciled, but people who are being used by you to reconcile lost, broken sinners and to you, the Savior, Jesus. In your name, amen. As you sit there, I pray that you would receive communion today, knowing that you've been reconciled and asking Jesus to bring to your mind the one, the one who will use you to help reconcile to him.